I want to welcome you to New Life Church Magnolia. If you're visiting with us today, thank you for being here. Just to echo what Matt said, it's an honor to uh, serve you all today. And uh, my name's Kyle, I'm the pastor here, and uh, just glad to be with you. Uh, I want to go over two very quick things, and as I'm doing that, you can go ahead and turn to James chapter 4, if you've got your Bibles with you, James chapter 4. James chapter 4. I want to welcome the kids today. Hi kids, how are y'all? Good? (laughs) Good, good, good. We should, hopefully have space for kids next week. Uh, That should be, the the goal is to complete that before next week. So, Uh, but we're glad they're here with us this morning. Uh, On that note of being able to complete some things, uh, one quick word, if you have some space available in your afternoon today, uh, starting around 3 p.m., we would love for you to come use your, your talents at painting. Whether you have a talent or not, it doesn't really matter to us. We just we need your hands and your muscles and, and your ability uh, to paint. So if you would like to come help with that at 3 today, that would be awesome. We are going to uh, be painting hallways and foyers and kids' rooms, and, and we're going to try to knock out as much of that this afternoon as we can. So we'll spend a couple hours up here uh, painting. And yeah, awesome. Another thing I want to mention to you is out there on the welcome table, there are these handy dandy, not notebooks, but gift cards, uh, invite cards. Sorry, not gift cards. So, not a New Life Church gift card, sorry. Um, it's uh, everybody take off running, right? Um, it's invite cards. And so, what we want you to do with these is uh, I don't want you to just take them and just, you know, spread them around and just drop them somewhere. I, I want, I'd, I'd like for you to take three or four and, and then just kind of think through the week. Who do I interact with or who am I interacting with uh, that I don't know if they've got a church home or not? And I could use this card as a tool to invite them to uh, our church. And so the way I see this working for me is is a lot of the people I interact with I know pretty well and I know that they're involved in church or uh, I kind of know their situation. But, But even when you're out eating, Right? How many of you like to go out to eat? Yeah, uh, most of you, right? When you're out eating, whether you're whether it's your waiter or waitress, or uh, whether it's the person behind the counter, uh, maybe that's a conversation you could start with them also, and just kind of leave one of these. Maybe you pay for somebody's meal behind you and drive through, and and ask the the drive through worker to to hand this to them also, and just just little things like that. Find neat ways. Uh, maybe to be thinking about other people this week and invite them to church. So you can just grab three or four of those off the table, think through that. There's more where those came from. So if you're like, Kyle, I need three more than three or four, this is going to be great. I'd be glad to give you three or four more. Amen? Uh, but let's not just you know scatter them abroad. Uh, let's think through it and use them intentionally and uh, hope they bear fruit that way. So uh, you may know three or four people now. If you know their names, just go ahead and jot those down in your notes so you won't forget this week uh, anyway. So this is uh, week eight of James. And so James will have, we've got this week, uh, or I'm, I'm sorry, this is like, this is week nine, isn't it? Is this week nine? Week eight. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, so this is week eight. This is week eight. I'm right. And, and so we've got three more weeks after this. We're going to do 11 weeks. So we've got nine, 10, and 11 to do. Uh, of this, and then we'll, we'll we'll break for a week, and then we'll dive into our Christmas. Nobody freak out, all right? Don't freak out, but it will be the Christmas season by that point. So uh, you've got a little over two months now to start preparing, not even quite, to start preparing for Christmas. So uh, there, there's a little bit of freak out for you, but we'll start our Advent series uh, towards the end, or the very last Sunday of November. And so just to kind of give you a picture of where we're headed. Uh, what we've been doing with James is talking about this relationship between faith and works, making faith visible. Uh, one of these invite cards are a way that may be a tool you can use to kind of make your faith visible with someone this week. But there's a million other ways, as we've seen throughout this series, there's a lot of things that God commands and God kind of expects of us and the things that we do, the things that we say that's still been extremely painful. One guy came up to me this morning just before church. He's like, you're not talking about speech again, are you, this week? I said, no, I don't. I think we're done with speech through the rest of James. He says, shoo, you know, because uh, our wives kind of remind us of that throughout the week. Uh, I don't know if yours is like mine, but it's been good. It's been good for me. And, and so uh, we won't, uh, so, so as we finish that, we won't talk about uh, the tongue anymore or the things that we say, uh, but there are some other things. And as you'll notice, James is going to start after today 
He's going to make a statement at the end of today's uh, text, and that's going to be kind of the transition into him wrapping this whole thing up. And so we're going to move forward with that today. Last week, we talked about true faith seeks God's wisdom. That was kind of a two-part deal. Uh, and, and so we, we were finishing up from the week before. And what we said last week is that true faith leads to true friendship with God. And where there's not true faith, there's, there's not a true friendship with God because we're not operating in the wisdom of God, we're operating in the wisdom of the world, so therefore we become friends with the world, right? And the things that we say and do, we're just like the world. We value what they value, we value, uh, we want what they want. And so true faith leads to true wisdom, which led to uh, true friendship. And then today... We're just kind of taking it one step further, uh, and, and it's all, it feels like you're starting on this mountaintop, and you're just kind of descending down, and, and this is kind of the final step before you're propelled into the valley of life, and this is true faith obeys God's will. So how many of you know there's your own will, and, and then there's God's will, Right? There's your will for your life, and then there's God's will for your life. There's the plans that you make for your life, and there's the plans that, God's ha- that God has made for your life. And so what we see is if we're going to operate in true faith, I'm going to be, uh, I'm a true believer in Christ, and that faith will make itself known, make itself visible in the way that I obey God's will, in the way that I walk in His will for my life. And so uh, let me pray for you and me, and then we'll dive into this. Father, we come before you today, and we thank you for the opportunity to gather as saints, as brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, under your word and under your care. Uh, God, I praise you for the sweet time of uh, worship with song that we've had this morning and singing praise to you and uh, just reflecting on who you are and uh, I, I love the final song, God, just thinking about one day being reu- reunited with you in heaven. And so, Father, as we consider those things, as we've thought through those things, I pray that that attitude of worship uh, would continue now as we come to your word. Help us to worship you in the way that we receive your word this morning. I pray that you make our hearts good soil, that you prepare our minds and our hearts to receive your word. Uh, and that your Holy Spirit do the work uh, that only He can do and make these things evident in our lives uh, for your glory and for your name's sake. Amen. Amen. All right, so uh, do you guys, I want to ask a few questions to kind of get us rolling today. Do you guys ever think of God's will? Do you think of God's will often? Just raise your hand, yes or no. Yes, think of God's will often, often, okay? That kind of puts me in the in-between. I'm more of the guy who has mostly just considered God's will when it came to big decisions, like where I want to live, uh, whether or not we want to have kids, where I want to work, and, and those kinds of things, considering career paths and what God's calling me to do and, and all those things. I found it a lot easier to consider God's will in those moments. But when it came to just the day-to-day activities and, and really even planning my life, I just kind of always went about it uh, w- without much regard to God's will for me. And so uh, I've largely been that big decisions guy. In fact, it irked me a little bit to hear people make the statement, if the Lord wills or Lord willing. And so Patricia and I, in our dating uh, days, we had this conversation. She comes from a family that says this often. And, and I'm, I was wrong in this. So I had to eat crow this week, all right? I, I, I was reading in the text that we're going to look at here in a moment. And I see uh, where James instructs us to say often, if the Lord wills. And so I immediately went back to this conversation in my mind, and I thought of Patricia and I. And in the circles that I grew up in, the churches that I grew up in, uh, to say if the Lord wills and to not kind of take life by the horns or life by the steering wheel, if you will, and kind of do your own thing meant that you lacked faith, that, that you didn't have any faith. And so I came to Patricia with that understanding that if we say, well, if the Lord wills, I'm like, no, that's faithless. You can't say something like that. And James corrected me this week. And so I was able to go to Patricia, and she always rejoices when I do this. And I was able to say, honey, I was wrong. You were right, right? Men, we need to get better at this. We probably should say this more. Honey, I was wrong. You were right. And, and so now I told her, I said, you need to start saying that again all the time like you used to because uh, I like it now. And she, she just laughed and said, whatever. Uh, so anyway... Uh, but 
I would, I would just approach God's will on the big plans for my life, and I didn't consider it much on, the, on just the everyday, day-to-day living. And, and I see now that I was wrong in this approach. I was largely just ignoring it. And so um, let me ask you this. Do you know that God has a will for your life specifically? That God has a will and a plan for your life specifically. Do you know that? I think that's hard for us to fathom. It's hard for us to, to even think about. Like God's concerned with my life specifically? Yeah, absolutely he is. Absolutely he is. And so uh, growing up, I always heard that God's will for my life would be dangerous, right? I just want to know the dangerous will of God. Or if we want to know God's will, then we need to pray uh, things like, God, show me the dangerous will of your life. Like these are the things I grew up hearing. And, and now what I'm realizing is, is one, that kind of deterred me from praying for God's will because I don't really want my life to be all that dangerous, right? I, I like safe. I, I like for, that's just the way I think. I, I'm not real uh, risky in the way that I live life. And so I, it just kind of deterred me from that. But what I'm really realizing is that God's will is not dangerous. God's will is the safest place you can be. To walk in God's will is the safest place you can be in your life. Why? Because God knows all things. He sees all things. He's in the future. He's in the past. He's in the present. And he knows exactly how to order your life in such a way that it may look dangerous, but it's not dangerous at all. It's absolutely where our hearts desire as where our hearts desire to be as believers. And so uh, Psalm 33 kind of con- con- Psalm 30, 33 confirms this, and it tells us that the will of God uh, comes from the heart of God. The, the will of God comes from the heart of God. So if we're thinking about the will of God coming from the heart of God, what we know is, is that God's will is what? It's His love for you and me. So because God loves us, He wills us. He gives us a will for our lives, and that comes from His love. And so I think most of us land in, like me, either that big decisions category, I want to consider God's will when I'm thinking about the big decisions of my life, or I want to consider God's will never. I'm just going to kind of ignore it. I'm just not going to think about it because I don't have a right understanding of God's will. And, And so there's... Uh, three attitudes that I want to share with you today after we read. And, and again, as James is kind of begins to wrap up his book and work towards that or his letter, uh, he's addressing us and advising us to reconsider God's will, to think about it more often. So let me just read this to you, and then we'll, we'll dive into our points for today. James 4, starting in verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So again, there's three attitudes that James shows us here about God's will. Number one is this. You can ignore God's will. This is number one. You can ignore God's will. We saw that in verses 13, 14, and 16. I want you to know that James here is addressing merchants. He's addressing those who would go and buy and sell and trade and go from one city to the next and do all that they need to do to make a living. And what the merchants based their whole life on, they scored their life this way, was their own plan and how well they accomplished their own plan. This is how they judged themselves as successful. Now look at us, specifically Americans today, and I say we're not far from that same thought. We score our lives, even as believers, we score our lives based on our own plans and achieving our own plans. Let me make this plan. Let me go to this city on this day and this city on that day and make such and such a plan, as James is saying, and then as I'm accomplishing those things, I'm scoring my life. I'm doing well. I'm successful because I'm doing all that I set out to do. 
And James says, you're foolish. Why? Because you're boasting in something that you can't even control. You're you're considering something that you have no control over. None of us can look to tomorrow and say that tomorrow is guaranteed. We like to think it is, but we don't have the power to guarantee tomorrow. Not for ourselves, not for anyone. And so James says, you're foolish because you're not seeking God's plan. You're not considering God's will for your life. You're just completely ignoring God's will. And, And so... I think there's four quick reasons not to ignore God's will that I want to show you. There's four quick things not to ignore God's will. Number one, life is complex. How many of you raise your hand and say life is complex, right? There's a billion decisions to make every single day. There's decisions not only to make for me now. Used to, it was just I was just kind of concerned with me, but now I have to think about my wife, my three kids, our future. Life is so complex. Many of you probably have a much more complex life even than I do. And so what I know is by looking at how difficult life is, how many decisions are to be made, how many things are to be decided in a day, and and I balance that with the truth that life is a mystery, is it not? I mean, life is really a mystery. As a teenager, I wanted to grow up and get married one day, but I I didn't know if I'd grow up and get married one day. In fact, I remember praying to God, please do not come back before I get married, right? It was totally selfish prayer. Please don't come back before I get married. Please don't come back before I have kids. I just remember pleading very selfish things like that. And now I'm like, Lord, come quickly, right? As I see the world and I see the pain we're in, Lord, come quickly. Life is complex. Life is a mystery without walking in God's will. And so even in God's will, life is a mystery. Like like even as I walk in God's will, I don't know what happens tomorrow, but I know the man who knows what happens tomorrow. And I trust the man with my life who knows what happens tomorrow. I, I trust him with every decision that I make. Not all the time, right? But when I really begin to consider God's will, I think, man, you know far better than I do, God. It's true what the psalmist says, your ways are higher than mine, your thoughts are higher than mine, better than mine. You're greater than I am, and so I trust you fully. So life is a mystery when I walk without God's will. The second thing about another reason to not ignore God's will is life is uncertain. I don't have to harp on this long, we kind of already have, but we don't know what happens tomorrow. You don't know what happens in an hour. We've made a plan to come paint at three. I don't know if any of you are going to show up. I'm just hoping some of you do, right? I, I, I just don't know. I don't know that I'd be able to be here, right? I mean, that's how uncertain life is, yet we take it all for granted. And we think, I can go and make all the plans I want to make and do all the things I want to do, and I'll just be able to accomplish those things without any consideration of God's will for us. And so life is uncertain for us. It's not uncertain to God. And you may write that out in your margin. Life is not uncertain to God. It's only in his will that we can be certain about life. The third thing is, and man, this has been all too evident of late, but life is short. Goodness, life is short. It is literally here today, gone tomorrow. I mean, I'm, I'm young, right? I'm 30 years old. That's young by many standards in here. That's young by my own standards. And I still think, where have the last 15 years gone? How do I have a four-year-old? How do I have a one-and-a-half-year-old? How do I have a almost six-month-old? Like, how is it happening this fast? It's just going so quick. Life is short. And so what happens is we number our years, right? 30 years old. I number my years. I think about my life every year, maybe twice a year, right? I think we really consider the shortness of life twice a year. On our birthday, when we're another year older, and then on the first of the year, January 1st, right? We start to think about what am I accomplishing in my life? What am I doing? But the other time within the year, we're usually not thinking too much about it. And the psalmist says to number our days, In Psalm 90, we see that our days are numbered. Not just our years, but our days are numbered. And and so we can't just go and spend and waste 
our lives. I mean, we can, but when I start thinking about the shortness of my life, I'm like, man, I I don't want to waste any more days. I don't want to just spend days doing whatever. I I want to intentionally live my life. And, And so how do we intentionally live life? The only way to intentionally live life is to intentionally invest in your life and to intentionally invest your life in the things that matter for eternity. Well, how do we know what matters for eternity? Well, God's Word would love to teach us those things. He teaches us how to invest in the things that matter for eternity. And so knowing God and obeying God for the endurance of our life is what really equals success, right? Knowing God, growing in my knowledge of Him, obeying God, growing in my knowledge of His commands, and growing in my ability to fulfill His commands. That's success. That's true success. And when I think about my life being short, I mean, I I don't know all the things that I've planned 30 years out, but, but I know the things that I can think about today, knowing God more, and obeying God better. Loving the Lord my God with all my heart, mind, soul, strength, and loving my neighbor as myself. Those are two things that I can do today that will drastically affect the next 30 years of my life. Amen? Those are the things that matters for eternity if I get 30 more years. Number four, another reason not to ignore God's will is you and I are weak. I know we don't like to admit that. We like to think we're strong. We're weak. On our own, we're weak. And and so our boasting in our time and in our plans and in the things we hope to accomplish is only covering up our weaknesses. We're we're trying to hide those weaknesses in the the plans that we're making, the things that we're trying to accomplish. And so you, you and I, we can't control the future. And so boasting in the future and all that we're going to do is sinful. Now, that doesn't mean that it's sinful to make plans. It means it's sinful to totally rely on that plan with no consideration to what God's will for your life is. Why? Why is that sinful? Well, because that puts you in God's place. That makes you God of your life and not God God of your life, right? I'm going to make the plans. I'm going to do all that I want to do without any consideration to God's will who created me for my life, then that means I become God. I become the most important being in my life, not Him. And so we've got to be careful because we are weak. It's foolish for us to ignore God's will. I like to go hiking, backpacking. I I try to go about twice a year, and they're not always successful. But one thing... We don't have to go into that. But one thing, uh, sometimes you just take some weaker brothers with you, right? And they just can't keep up. So uh, (laughs) anyway, not Joe, though. Joe, he's got it going on. If you ever want to go on a long hike, take Joe. He'll he'll keep up with you. Um, Not mentioning any other names. But um, one of the things we never do is we never set out without a map. We just don't do that. I mean, we're on marked trails. We're not just blazing through the woods on a bridge, but we've got marked trails. But there are many times, even with a map, you come to a fork in the trail, and you're like, I don't know which way to go. So what do you do? Pull your map out of your pocket, look at the map, and say, okay, we're supposed to go left here. We're supposed to go right here. What What do we do with that map? What am I doing with that map? I'm keeping my guide close, right? I'm making sure that my guide is always with me. Why? Because my guide knows better than I know. And it's the same with God. To ignore God's will is to not keep my guide close. It's to say, God, I'm God. I'm I'm the guide of my life. I don't need you. And so it's foolish to ignore God's will in the same way that it would be foolish for us to embark on those hikes without a map. Amen? Number two, so you can ignore God's will. The second thing you can do is disobey God's will which is what verse 17 is getting at. It says, to you who knows what to do and does not do it for him, it is sin. And so to disobey God's will, and I won't spend much time on this because I think we, we get this one pretty well, but to disobey God's will shows more pride than ignoring God's will. 
Because if I'm just ignoring God's will, I'm not trying to learn it or understand it. That's one thing. It's totally different to say, I want to know your will, Father. I want to know the things that your word says. And then once I know them, to say, no, I don't want to do that. That's way more prideful, is it not? To just say, God, no, I know better than you do. And so I think what happens is, is we look at God's will a lot like I looked at it as a teenager. And I think we, we carry this into life. I've talked to many adults who still think this way. To think about God's will is to think about my life and my hands being placed in shackles. And I'm going to be bound to live according to a will that I just don't really care about. Or it seems like it's hindering me from being able to do the things that I really want to do. Right? And this is why we have the backlight the backlash against traditional marriage. This is why God-ordained marriage. This is why we have the backlash uh, against uh, things like even tithing or obeying God's word and things in the way that we live. This is why we have the backlash uh, in our lives and we feel this rebellion in our lives to just go and do whatever my heart desires. Why? Because we're utterly sinful. And we, we don't care to follow God's will because it doesn't appeal to the pleasures that I have in mind for me. And the things that I think are pleasurable for now, God says, will destroy me in time. God says, I've got a better way. I've designed marriage. I know how it should work. I've designed finances. I know how they should work. I've designed your ability to work. I know how you should work. And so for us to disobey God, we're saying to the Creator that creation is greater than the Creator. And if God created us, then He knows best how we operate, right? If you build, if you're an inventor and you build a machine, and you've never shown anybody else how to operate that machine, you've never written a book on how to operate that machine, who knows how to operate the machine best? You or the new purchaser? You do, right? Because you built it. You invented it. What happens is is we take what God has built, what he's created, what he's made, and we say, no, God, I know better than you do. And we're wrong to do so. And so we just simply disobey God's will. What I love about God is the same thing that I grew to love about my own father. It just took some time. Is that God will not allow me to walk in disobedience forever. As believers, God is going to discipline you in your disobedience, in the same way that we discipline our children, in the same way that I was disciplined, and I really didn't grow to appreciate that until I was an adult, right? There may have been moments, and and my dad, right before a whooping, would always tell me, son, you know I love you. You know I love you. Yeah, right, dad. (laughs) That doesn't feel like love, you know? But I would always know that my dad cared for me and that he loved me. So let's read Hebrews 12 uh, together. I'm just going to get that to pop up here, verses 5 through 11. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they, uh, for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Can I get an amen? But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Amen. So what we see there is that because God disciplines, we know in that discipline that he calls us son or he calls us daughter. And we can take confidence or be confident in his discipline to produce in us the fruit of righteousness or to help us grow from uh, one moment 
of not looking like Jesus into more moments where we look like Jesus, where He raises us up, He trains us, He matures us in the same way that we're training and trying to mature our own children, and that God loves us in doing so. I love that God will not leave me in my disobedience. So God's discipline proves His love for us because God, as a loving Father, will not let us continue in our disobedience. And so what this tells me, what Hebrews 5 and what I'm seeing in James tells me is that I need to stop just simply disregarding my disobedience. We looked at this last week, I believe, where James says to stop just laughing it off, right? Yeah, he says to be wretched, to weep, to mourn over our sin. Why? Because it's important to God. It's vital to our spiritual health. And and so uh, don't disregard disobedience because it's important to your father. In the same way that you as moms and dads who are in here look at your children and say, it's important that they obey you. It's important to you that they mature into young men and young women who love the Lord and contribute to society. Amen? The third thing, the third attitude we can take towards God's will is that you can obey God's will. You can ignore it, you can disobey it, or you can obey God's will. And so that phrase, if the Lord wills, is not just a phrase that we should add to the vocabulary of our speech. It's not just me saying, well, if the Lord wills, I'll do this or I'll do that. Instead, what James is saying is, if the Lord wills, is a phrase that should be added to the vocabulary of our hearts. And that the posture of my heart now is, if the Lord wills, I will do this or I will do that. You see how there's a difference in that? It's intentionally saying, with my life, I want to do His will. Whatever that may be, this or that, whatever it is, I want to do it according to His will, according to His plan for my life. And so that changes the posture of my heart. Jesus said, my food is to do the Father's will. When you read through uh, the books that Paul wrote, and he's talking about any travel plans or making any plans at all, really, am I going to go to these people and teach them? Or am I going to go to these people? Am I going to move to this city or this? He's always considering God's will in his writing. Always. Why? Because God's will is not shackles on our lives. God's will is not meant to put you in some little box where you can't go and do a bunch of fun things. God's will is the key. It's the key to freedom in your life. It's the key that opens doors that only God can help you walk through. That's what God's will is for your life. Oftentimes, we don't know what's behind that next door, but we can't even get to that next door unless we're walking in God's will for our life. And so everything, everything in our universe today operates with laws, does it not? Take the law of gravity, the law of motion. And so if one of you comes up to me, Joe, if you come up to me and say, hey, Kyle, learn this new trick. I can climb to the top of the SAU bell tower, and I can jump from there and fly. I don't need anything to help me but I'm going to fly. If I jump off of there, I'm going to fly. What am I going to tell Joe? You're crazy, right? You can't fly. You, you don't, you're not going to have a jetpack on, right? Jetpacks are cool. You're not, you're not going to have anything like that helping you out? No, I, I can fly my own. Oh, you can't. You're foolish. Joe, don't do that. Why? Well, Joe, because there's this law called gravity. There's a law called the law of motion. And both of those things say if you jump from the top of that bell tower, you will splat on the concrete. And it won't be pretty. You can't do whatever you want to do because God has built this universe with laws in it. Very much in the same manner, God's will are like the laws that we see, with the exception of one thing. God's will 
is specific for you. Whereas the universal laws that we all have to live by uh, are, are not specific to one person. They govern everything. God's will can be specific for you. Now, let me clarify. There are things about God's will that are not specific to you. They're general to all of uh, the population, okay? Like things, um, it's God's will that we yield ourselves to Him. It's God's will that we avoid sexual immorality. It's God's will that we rejoice. It's God's will that we pray. It's God's will that we thank Him for who He is. It's God's will that we obey His commands. All of those things are general. They're universal in approach. We read those things in God's Word, and they can be applied to each and every single one of us. Now, there are things that are specific about God's will that I cannot know for your life. You cannot know for my life. It's things like uh, the gifts that he gives us, the ministry that he's calling us to, the things he allows us to go and to do and say and live and all of those things. God's will is absolutely unique for each of us. And and so God's will isn't like the snack machine at school, if we still have those. Uh, and, And so you can't just walk up, put a coin in, push the button, grab out what you want and say, this is God's will for me. It's not an impersonal, mechanical object like that. God's will is a living, personal relationship between you and Him. It's where you come to Him and you grow in your knowledge of Him, you grow in your knowledge of His commands, and you start walking in those things. And as you do, you begin to learn God's will for your life specifically. And then the brothers and sisters around you, this is the best thing about community is I can say that I'm called to preach and called to pastor. And I can say those things, but without brothers and sisters around me affirming that call in me, I may get that wrong. Right? And the same is true for you. There may be some of you in here who say, man, I'm gifted to sing, but you can't sing a lick. Right? You need brothers and sisters to say, no, I don't think that's it, sister. You can't sing. Right? That's good for us. But maybe there's another gift that you have, and we kind of point in that direction. No, you can't sing, but man, you're, you're really good with people. And not only people, you're good with kids. Or you're really good with people and not just kids or people, but you're good with adults. You're good with college students. You know, when you start pointing people, you start helping people see what God's calling them to because you get to know those people. That's a beautiful thing about community. But God's will is a living relationship between God and us and that relationship Praise God for this, cannot be destroyed when we disobey because God will deal with us and he will, even if it means disciplining us, help us get back to following his will, obeying his will. So here's four very quick ways to grow in our relationship to God's will. Number one, know his will. Know his will. Acts twenty-two fourteen. 14. You guys go, yeah. And he said that God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. And so uh, knowing God's will is not that difficult to discover. It just simply means willing to obey. I'm willing to obey God, and as I'm obeying, he's going to help me walk in his will. He's going to reveal his will for us. Uh, John seven seventeen confirms that where it says, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. So again, if our will is to do God's will, we'll begin to know what's truly God's will for our lives and what's not. Amen? So everything about your life is important to God. He has a plan for your life. The second way to kind of grow in your relationship to God's will is to understand his will. Ephesians 5.17 says, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. How do we understand the will of the Lord? Again, just faithful obedience. It's seeking to grow in spiritual wisdom. Amen? It's coming to God and saying, God, I don't know what you would want me to do with my life. Here's some things I see you commanding, so I'm going to obey those. And as I'm obeying those, God, would you reveal your will to me? I think a lot of times people say, I don't know God's will for my life, or I don't know how to find God's will for my life. 
because what, a, what God's will for my life is not lining up with what my will for my life is. Does that make sense? I hear this a lot, a whole lot, especially in young people. I don't know God's will for my life. And maybe that's true, but I think a lot of times what I've encountered is, yeah, you do know God's will for your life, but you don't like that will for your life, so you want to do something different, right? And so you go against that, and you start to try to do your own thing. Third thing uh, to grow in relationship with God's will is prove God's will. This is what I'm talking about. Romans 12, 2 tells us to not be conformed any longer to the ways and uh, customs of the world, but to be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what? What is the will of God? What is good and acceptable and perfect? So we prove God's will. How do you prove it? Well, the, the verb there is to prove by experience. To prove by experience. So we learn God's will by working at it. In other words, we don't just sit and not do anything until we know God's specific will for our life. We, we take steps we do what he know he commands. We, we do what we know he is asking us to do, even if it's just the commands we're reading in the Bible, like to love God with all my heart, mind, soul, strength, and to love my neighbor as myself. I'm going to start with those two things, and then I'm going to let God uh, kind of uh, make that more specific in my life. I'm going to let him show me how that plays out in my life. But right now, I'm just going to obey him. So you start by that, and then you begin to prove his will in the way that you live. And so what we learn is that the more we obey, the more we begin to understand about God's will, the more it takes root in us. And, and so you take steps, and God directs those steps. You, you do what you know, and God opens the way. And so a quick example of this is several years ago, my life has been a constant uh, circle of living in Fort Smith and not living in Fort Smith. Amen? Uh, many of you know what I'm talking about. So several years ago, we moved to Fort Smith working in ministry. And then after a year there, just felt like God was, I, I got offered a job here to, to manage a pawn shop. And I felt like God was calling me to do that. And I couldn't explain it. And it looked foolish to everyone, right? Because you're going from working in ministry, which it's the epitome of God's will, right? I'm just joking. It's not true. But that's the perception. And then you move into going to manage a secular business. And I just remember praying and seeking God, and I just felt peace. This is what I'm supposed to do. So I move here. And when I move here, I begin to get involved with you guys. Loved you guys, serving alongside you guys. Uh, out of that birthed a passion in me for the local church that was even deeper than what I had before. Uh, just saw kind of some gifts of pastoring within me that I thought, man, one day I want to pastor a local church. Matt asked me to serve as an elder here, and I began to serve in that capacity. And then one day I felt like God's calling me back to Fort Smith, move up there and to serve those people, to love them, to grow in my gifts of pastoring a local church with the hope to one day pastor a local church. Well, I had no idea that the people I'd been serving with for nearly four years, that this would be the place and Matt make the call to bring me back here to pastor you guys. And I tell you, you know what started the move the very first time from Fort Smith to Magnolia to manage a pawn shop? Proverbs 16. I opened up Proverbs 16. I was in Magnolia, just had the interview there. And I opened up Proverbs 16. I stopped at Eastside Park and was just praying. And Proverbs 16 says, man makes his plans, but the Lord directs his steps. And I just remember being incredibly comforted in that because I was torn about my move. And I just said, God, you know what? I'm making this plan, but I'm trusting you to order my steps. Trusting you to order my steps. And look how beautiful, I mean, it's beautiful for me. It's still, the jury may still be out with you whether or not this is beautiful for you, but I love this. And I'm grateful, so grateful for God directing my steps, even when I was seemingly was making my own plans. Amen? This is what God does for us because he loves us. A fourth way to grow in his relationship or a relationship to his will is to do God's will from the heart. Now you can do God's will or you can do God's will from the heart. Ephesians 6.6 6 is going to uh, back this up where it says, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, 
doing the will of God from the heart. And so this looks drastically different. Do you want to know the secret of life? All right, who doesn't want to know the secret of life? The secret of life is to delight in duty. It's to delight in duty. Let me explain. When duty becomes delight, when God's calling me to something or he's showing me his will, and that duty becomes something that I delight in, then the burden of that duty becomes blessing. It's no longer a curse. It's no longer duty. It's no long, it, it is work and toil, but it's not just work and toil. There's blessing with that. There's blessing in doing what God wills for us. And so when we say we love God, then we obey his commands. But it's not just that we obey his commands. I love what the psalmist says in 119. He says, to, uh, he says your commands or your precepts have become a song for me. I love to do your will. I love to obey your commands. They're a song for my heart. What's he saying? I'm not just doing the will. I'm not just obeying his will. I'm being blessed in my obeying of his will. Therefore, I love his will. I love his commands for me. When, when duty becomes delight, burdens become blessing. If we serve God begrudgingly, we'll miss his blessing. doesn't mean you can't serve God. But there are moments, and all of us go through these seasons of, I'm just showing up to serve today in little life begrudgingly, right? I mean, you can admit it. It's okay. I'm showing up to work the hospitality table, but it's begrudgingly. I don't want to be here. I'm showing up to work the sound booth, but it's begrudgingly. I've got to sing this song about Jesus today, and my heart's just not there. I'm doing it begrudgingly, right? I mean, if we're honest, we all hit those points. And if we serve God begrudgingly, we miss the blessing. And that's where burnout happens. Burnout happens when duty becomes duty and not delight. Burnout happens when burdens become curses and not blessing. When I take my eyes off of the Father and the things that he's gifted me to do, and he's called me to do, and I place them on me and my own comforts and what I want to do, then the burdens are simply burdens. They're curses. When I'm looking to the Father, I'm saying, thank you, God, for the gift you've given me to serve these people today. Thank you, God, for the heart you've given me for this. And though I don't always want to be here, I want to be here. I love you. I'm not doing this begrudgingly, right? And where that happens, it becomes blessing. We desire to do that. The duty becomes delight. And so when ministry becomes just work instead of ministry, it's a curse for us. It's no longer fun. I don't want to do it anymore. And I think we go through those seasons. And when you go through those seasons, it's good for you to say, I'm doing this begrudgingly and I'm about to burn out. I need a break. And to get your heart right, to pray before God, to ask God, renew the desire. Renew a right spirit, please. Amen? There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's good wisdom. It's better wisdom to step back and say, I can't do this right now. My heart's not in it. My heart's not right than it is to keep going about it saying, I'm just going to do this, but man, I don't want to be here. And you just get more and more bitter in that. Amen. If we do God's will from the heart, we're enriched even when that task is difficult. And so here's what I want everybody to hear in here today. I don't want you to ever think that failure in knowing or doing God's will is somehow permanently affecting your relationship with Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? I don't want you to think that knowing or that failing to know or do God's will is permanently in a negative way affecting your relationship with Jesus. It's not permanent. Why? Because what we saw last week is he gives more grace. He grants more grace. 
He's not going to leave us in our disobedience. He's going to call us back to obedience, even if it means discipline, which is not fun for the season, but it's meaningful for the rest of my life. Amen? And so never think that. I don't want any of you to walk away today and say, man, I failed to know God's will. I failed to do God's will. And then to think that somehow that's negatively affecting your relationship with Jesus permanently. It's not permanent. He gives more grace. He restores the weary. He gives strength to those who are, who are waning in strength. He wants to help you. Amen? He's right there beside you. And so we, knowing that, can confess our sins. We can receive the forgiveness of the Lord over those sins. And then we can learn from those mistakes. Right? I started serving God begrudgingly for like three months in little life. And then I hated it. I didn't like the kids. I didn't like the parents. I didn't like anybody at my church anymore. Right? We laugh, but people do those things. And so now I can look back and I can say, man, I did it then. So now when I begin to see that I'm serving begrudgingly, I just need to step back. I need to call Mandy, say, hey, give me a week off. Give me a week off. I need to talk to my home group about it. Talk to a fellow sister or brother in Christ about it. Have them pray with me. Take steps to see my soul restored. Why? Because the body's counting on you. The body's better when you're serving. The body's better when you're walking in God's will than it is when you're not walking in God's will. Amen? All of you know this to be true. It's better. There are things that you guys are way better at than I will ever be good at. It's just true. I'm okay with that. I like that. It's the way the body operates. And that's why we've called Alan to come and serve here. Alan does things better than I do. He knows how to make disciples better than I know how to make disciples. So what do I want to do? Do I want to push him away and say, man, I don't want that guy here because he's going to make me look bad? No. I want Alan to come and show me how to make disciples better. I want him to show all of us how to make disciples better. Why? That makes the body better. This church can live on whether Kyle's here or not if we focus on the health of the church. Amen? I don't know that I've got tomorrow. I don't know that I've got two more years. I don't know these things. So I'm going to take steps today to do what's best for the body around me. Amen? That's just me speaking as pastor. That looks differently for the rest of you, but not much differently. Amen? I love you guys. Why don't you stand to your feet this morning?